welcome to episode 10 of the Wholesome Business Podcast. This time I went with my colleague Hans to meet Sophie Albizwa and James Bidwell for a discussion on the future of work and the future of everything. Sophie is a multi-channel retail specialist and a co-founder of the digital transformation consultancy Enova Partnership, and you can find their website at enovapartnership.com. She's also a non-executive director for the digital receipt solution company Receipts. Sophie has advised, invested in, and been involved in the management of retail and consumer goods businesses across Europe. James is the CEO of Springwise Innovation at springwise.com, the world's largest idea-spotting network, offering us a unique view of the future of our world. Every day they bring us the latest innovations across many sectors um, and highlight the top, the top four innovations from 190 countries across the world. James has been involved prior to Springwise in many well-known businesses, including previously as the marketing director of Selfridges and the managing director of the retail brand Anthropology. If you enjoy listening, please do subscribe on iTunes or Stitcher. Follow us with at Heat Eat Whole Grain on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. We had a little hiccup with our recording. Um, We're still learning as we go along with this podcast. So we had a little hiccup with the recording at the end. So we switched to our backup recording towards the end, which is a little bit sketchy. So apologies for that. Without further ado, let's talk about the future of work. Thanks for agreeing to do this. And um, great. I think it was a good topic you suggested because I think it's interesting to all of us, the future of work and the future of everything. And, um, and Springwise, James, is obviously, you know, you're, you're sort of tracking the trends of where the future of everything is going. Um, and at Enova, I know that you also do some things internally to kind of think about how you move your business forward, but also as a digital transformation agency, you're helping your clients sort of move their businesses into the future. So, um, so I'm guessing you guys probably have some, have some good, good insights. Um, and yesterday I was in our office and we have a, um, we have a quote of the week that gets put up on the board and, uh, and this one was quite appropriate. It said, the organisation of the future will be an embodiment of community based on shared purpose calling on the higher aspirations of people. And it was a quote from Dee Hock, who's the founder of Visa. Um, and I wouldn't have expected a quote like that necessarily to come from the founder of financial institution. Um, so I thought, I thought that was quite interesting, but ties in with some of the themes that people are talking about with the future of work in terms of um, sort of less hierarchical structures and more purposeful work rather than just being driven by sort of the bottom line, basically. Um, so maybe, maybe James, you could kick off by sort of giving us your initial thoughts on sort of what key things we need to be thinking about when looking at the future of work. Okay, so thanks, and it's, it's great to be here. Um, so at Springwise, we look every day at the, the most exciting innovations on the planet. So we, we publish the, the top four that we see from around the world every day, and we have 19,000 scouts who look for those innovations. So we kind of have a very unique insight into what the outliers are doing, and we can track trends and insights and intelligence as it comes through. And we work a lot across retail, across travel, across automotive, health. And the one uniting feature is, is the future of work, actually, because yeah. the future of work is how we exist as human beings and how we, um, I guess, how we live and how we make our money to, uh, to kind of enjoy our lives. And that is, that is radically transforming as the industries transform. And actually, the future of work is, is in some ways driving disruption and transformation across all, all of these industries. And I guess it's a cycle that as businesses change, it changes the way we work, and as we change the way we work, it changes the way type of businesses that we run. Exactly, and, and we're seeing the, the kind of the massive shift uh, from the kind of the legacy businesses into the startup disruption, uh, more exciting or, or equally exciting but different uh, businesses that are run by entrepreneurs and, yeah. and emerging, and the idea that you can start to run your own business very young now um, the technology enables all of that and I think the kind of the overarching kind of couple of points are one is that the the paradigm of the world as we know it and and what we've seen over the last 20 or 30 years is is kind of dead you know that is it is changing and and the businesses that aren't shifting and really running at it 
the big kind of corporates are not going to exist in, in the same way. And, and you can see that in terms of the length of time businesses are on, you know, in the S&P 500, you know, yeah. it's, it's much less now. And, and the, the speed at which uh, new businesses come to market and, and become dominant, which, which we see all the time. And within that is an energy, an entrepreneurial energy that is extraordinary. And, 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 and back to Springwise, you know, we see four entrepreneurs every day. Yeah. And this morning I got an email from a guy who said, I've been looking at your uh, website since 2014. It inspired me to set up my business. We've just hit four million of revenues. Wow. Thank you very much. And, and a lot of the stuff that I've seen from Springwise along the way has helped me get that. Yeah. It's like outrageous, you know, amazing. Yeah. So, so yeah, so I think it's what's exciting and slightly frightening is that the change is so much more rapid than anyone really can see. And I think Sophie sees that a lot in her, her business as well. Yeah. I mean, I've got two points of views or perspectives on it. One is from my own story as an entrepreneur and setting up um, Innova about six years ago and how I run the business and, and how people work and want to work internally, which we can talk more about um, if you want later. And then the other one is what I see with my clients. So um, <clears throat> retail is, like many industries probably today, at a, at a crossroads really. Um, the pace of disruption and the pace of change is, is enormous and retailers have to adapt um, to not only to thrive but to survive and so I've been observing over the past few years how um, if retailers don't change their ways of working um, then they're, you know, they're simply not going to be um, future proof and, and successful in the future. Yeah and I guess that so specifically on retail, because that's quite an interesting one in terms of how work is changing, because um, you're now getting things, obviously you've got the online element, that that's really shifting the, not just businesses, but the jobs away from kind of working in a shop to behind the scenes in maybe a fulfillment center or in the sort of digital fulfillment. Um, but also within stores, you're getting things like self-service checkouts and things where effectively you're replacing humans on the till with a, with a robot that does the same job, basically. Um, so have you got any thoughts on sort of how, how work within retail might change sort of in the future? I think this potentially is a broader question than, than just the retail element of it. Um, but I'll try to answer the retail element of it first and then we can touch on the broader yeah. question. So, um, yes and no is the answer because 90% of retail still happens in shops. Yeah. And yes, there are changes in that, you know, tills are disappearing and, you know, click and collect is replacing deliveries and stuff like that. But in the main, the, the sort of core functioning of retail is changing slower than people would want to think in terms of people's activities. Um, it's not to say that it's not changing. So, you know, um, store staff, for example, has a new role nowadays. They're not just talking to customers and putting products on shelves and making the store look nice. They've become mini warehouse managers because yeah. when a client comes and says, I want my click and collect order... They need to know what the product is, find it, check it through the system or book it through the system. Um, when returns come into store, they need to deal with them, etc. So their role is slightly changing, but it's I would say it's at the margin. Their core role is still to sell a product, talk to customers, keep them happy, make the store look good. Um, now, over time, more and more tills are going to disappear you know, less and less products will be in the stores and more and more products will be behind the, the scenes, you know, um, buyable online, etc. Which leads to the broader question, which is, you know, the future of work full stop. And you see, yeah. you've seen these stats that I think it's 47% of, of jobs altogether are going to be replaced by robots and, and machines over time. I don't know the answer to that question. You, you look at the previous industrial revolutions and, you know, we have been through... Um, as disruptive waves of change as this one. So when machinery replaced agriculture, etc., you know, the, the world yeah, did shift to a world where 
most of the world population was in agriculture, and now there's only you know a small percentage of the world population still working in agriculture, and we've managed to go through that transition. So I'm a big believer that we can go through the technology revolution and come out better off than than where we are today. So I'm I'm not not a buyer of the gloom and gloom. gloom Gloom and doom. Thank you for helping me. <laughs> Gloom and doom of, you know, all jobs will disappear and technology will kill us. I actually think technology will save us. But that's another topic. But the, and I think to build on that, the, I mean, the, it's, the, it's, just, it's not about all the jobs disappearing. It's about them being replaced with new jobs. So, exactly. you know, a social media manager didn't exist 20 years ago. Right. So, so we're creating new jobs. Um, you, can look at a, you can look at this in a very dystopian way. You can look at it as a world driven by artificial intelligence, run by robots, dominated by massive corporates who maybe don't have the best interests of the human population at, at heart. You can look at Amazon warehouses with people working in the dark yeah. and all of that. You can look at supply chains, um, which, and I think one of the benefits of, of, tran- of the transparency is, a, a, is and the technology is that we transparency of supply chain. So a, yeah. a business like Patagonia, who will Absolutely. Every time I buy a Patagonia garment, I know where it's been, you know, where it's been made, who's made it, what its carbon footprint is, and that now is best practice and needs to become more best practice. So there is a revolution in the people who are in that supply chain and their working conditions and all of that, which is badly, badly needed yeah. in the fashion industry. Um, and back to the kind of customer in 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 retail. As, as you know, I was marketing director of Selfridges, where we reinvented that business and turned it from a rather grotty department store into one of the most exciting experiences in London. And the word experience was the key. And the, the, the retail transaction is, is an experience. It's not just a transaction. Um, even online, you know, there is something emotional. There is a, a whole set of emotions which are very, very human. Yeah. Um, and I believe profoundly that the, the human element actually becomes more and more important in this in this world of, of technology and technology will you know is the enabler of all of that and all of our entrepreneurs that we cover at Springwise I mean they're guys and girls who are absolutely passionate about what they're doing and without them in the business and the force of, of the entrepreneur and, and Sophie's an entrepreneur I've become an entrepreneur you know you don't get a business without the human you can't just have the tech yeah. Yeah. So that's very positive. And, and then moving from that is how do we create more positive change in the world? And how does the future become positive rather than negative? And that is a, a massive question. And the good news is that positive businesses attract better, better people to work in them, as yeah. you guys know. And uh, that will only become more acute as, as the generations come come through and understand that we have actually trashed our planet pretty badly <clears throat> in our in the last uh, kind of 20 30 years there are massive issues from a from an environmental and climate change point of view which need to be addressed yeah. and business is probably and you look at the state of politics in our country which is you know very dis, uh, you know disappointing and business has a massive role to play in in kind of helping the world become a better place and kind of keeping uh, keeping some of these issues at the forefront when all these massive egos in politics are thinking about themselves. So I think it's... And the entrepreneurial businesses are going to do that better than the big old legacy businesses who are worrying about, you know, their corporate car park spaces. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think what, one of the things you said about um, it not being dystopian is it could be quite liberating in a way that... Robots and artificial intelligence are going to be able to do a lot of things that are sort of repetitive and predictable. Um, and those are things that are inherently not that interesting for humans to do. They're the sort of jobs that people go to and, and they sort of resent going to work. It's, they go there because they have to and they can't wait till five o'clock and they can clock off and go and do something more interesting. Um, and so although it can be a bit, it's a bit scary in a way that you could say, well, a lot of those jobs might disappear and those people might be out of work because a machine could do their job. But on the other hand, it opens up the possibility of like, well, all these people could potentially do something that's much more interesting, much more stimulating, um, and therefore more fulfilling. So I think it's, um, in, I don't know if you've read the new Kevin Kelly book called The Inevitable. So he's the, one of the founders of Wired, and he's written this book called The Inevitable, which, which talks about the 12 
inevitable, inevitable kind of shifts in, in the world, and one of which is AI will happen, and yeah. VR will happen, sharing economy will continue to happen. But he makes the he draws the distinction between machines that are in charge of productivity and stuff that, as you say, are that are repetitive and, and, yeah. and stuff that actually we don't really want to do, and anything that involves creativity is is in the domain of human. So, yeah. so science, medicine, kind of all the creative stuff that we got, we do in our businesses, that is not going to be done by artificial intelligence because you're never going to really come up with a great new idea through artificial intelligence. So. That human element, and it's just a question of how you. Provide. So there's the utopian uh, view is that we all work, you know, a couple of days a week, and the yeah. machines do the rest, and everyone's got, and the economy's booming. And the, dy <laughs> the dystopian thing is we're all run by robots, and we, you know, we don't, we're not in charge anymore. And it, and as as always with these things, it's in the middle somewhere. It'll be somewhere yeah. And and I think our role is as leaders in, in modern businesses to kind of get it to a place that's a positive for for not our not just our kind of Western economies, but for the, the world, in, you know, the world is a big place and there are a lot of people who are still in, in a huge uh, suffering across the planet. So how do we, you know, use some of this uh, advantage to make the world a better place across, across the board yeah. and protect it from mass climate change? Absolutely. I mean, do you think that um, sort of borders, in a way, are becoming less relevant? I mean, I know sort of people have been talking about globalisation for a couple of decades now. But that was more sort of big multinational companies who were sort of outsourcing things, production and call centers and things, to other countries. Whereas now, I think technology has enabled smaller businesses to work with people all over the world. But I would argue, to some extent, that's a positive thing. You know, so in our business, you know, we've got one of our team members, Lee, he, he lives in China, um, and one of our other developers. Matthias um, lives in Brazil, and they've got opportunities to do work and work with people and earn money as well that they would never have had if they were sort of locked into sort of just working in their local city in a conventional job. Um, so, so we, I mean, we're we're I'll talk a bit about Springless because we're we're, we're, an example we're kind of, of, I mean, we are. So our our spotters are in 190 countries. So we yeah. get ideas every day from from you know not from 190 every day, but. We get about 100 ideas a day, they're in 190 countries. Our readership is 30% North America, 30% Europe, and then rest of the world is, is you know, we're in Australia, we're in China, we're in India, we're, in, yeah. we're all over the world, and we have people consuming Springwise from all over the world. And we're sitting, in, there's seven of us sitting in, you know, in London doing it. No one really knows where we are, nor should they really care about it. Our clients are from all over the world, so we work with governments across the world and big businesses. We've got more more revenue from outside UK uh, than we have from inside UK. We have, um, and then we have this completely amazing global perspective because we see entrepreneurial ideas from Turkey, from Peru, from Australia, yeah. from all, the, all day long. And so I think that is hugely liberating. And one of the advantages, one of our sort of kind of selling points for Springwise is even if you're in the travel industry, you need to know what's happening in other parts of the world and you can learn from that and you can also learn from what's happening in other industries and having that global perspective and that kind of bank of content. And then we have our team, so I, so I live in the countryside, so I'm, I'm, you know, I'm in London not all the time, I don't need to be in London all the time, I need to be there when I need to see people or I travel to, I've been in Tokyo this year, I've been in the States, I've been all over the place. Yeah. Um, so I have a much more liberated, and having worked for 30 years, you know, I've, I, this is a completely different way of, of working, and the ability to travel, to communicate. Some of our, all of our tech guys are in India, so they're, yeah. they're based there. It's fantastic to be, you know, have, a, have a, some people there who are kind of benefiting from, you know, what we can bring them in terms of revenues and... So I think all of that is is, is amazingly liberating and, and a brilliant thing because yeah. it gives perspective and it gives you the perspective of travel and different cultures and different ideas without having to you know get on a plane all the time and, and go and see people. So I think it's it's you know the globalization it's uh, particularly in the entrepreneurial community is really really exciting and we see masses of social innovation and. Entrepreneurs who are trying to, you know, they're, they're, the core of their business is making, doing something positive for society, and we cover yeah. a lot of that. So we make sure we cover around fifteen percent of our articles are around social innovation because we believe that's a massive part of the future and yeah. needs to become mainstream. Yeah, absolutely. And then I think you know, you mentioned you live in the countryside. I think there's going to be a big 
shift towards um, sort of work-life balance, but not so much work-life balance in the conventional sense, where it's like, well, you, you've got work and then you've got life, but it's much more uh, sort of merging the two. I know some people are talking about work-life harmony now as a sort of slightly more appropriate yeah. way of phrasing it. Um, especially when you've got remote working or people working from home, um, flexible working hours and things like that is something that, that we do. I mean, so, you know, Hans is sort of just graduated and been working for us for a couple of months, but, you know, he only comes to the office once or twice a week. Yeah, that's about it, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, you know, sort of, I guess it, there's a good chance he probably never experienced the, the sort of the yeah. conventional model of you have to be in the office every day, nine to five, because this way of working is just going to become more and more common. I thought a little bit, but this is a different way of working. Um, it does. I, I'm not sure if it works for every single industry, yeah. but for ours, which is very digital, it does work really well. And I think um, almost for like you kind of miss like the overhead of like talking next to the coffee machine and that kind of stuff, and like a lot of like like unproductivity, which you kind of replace with being at home and just just doing your work and then going for a walk and then continuing to work and then if something like important comes up at the end of the day you then quickly do it where in the office if you clock out you, you're done so it's it's way more like in and out than it is with with like conventional working i guess yeah the two are sort of meshed together in a, um, there's not a clear divide between them it can be a good thing it can be a bad thing so it's sort of interesting how as businesses we're going to manage that yeah I think it's very interesting to watch the young generation, you know, coming through and working for us in our in our businesses. So I started my life at Goldman Sachs, and you know, of all the places, this is probably one where the employees are sort of most devoted to their work and their clients. And if either a client or a one of my bosses would ask me to do something, complete a task, you know, I would give it all night and, you know, every single bit of my energy to, to complete it to absolute perfection. And that would come before everything else. Nowadays, you know, it's it's no longer, I'm not saying that there are not places and times to, to do that, but, you know, the, the, the younger generation who are coming through, they don't want to work like that. You know, they have a different ethic and um, their life and the way that their life blends with their work is is very important and yeah. I you know and so I don't see that type of behavior um, and so I have to work around it and work in a different way to achieve the same result but 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 in a different you know sort of work-life balance and way of working which I'm I'm still experimenting with because I come with my old sort of habits of yeah. you know, how I would do things and that's not how it works nowadays. I, th I find it very interesting. Yeah, I think people can actually be much more productive when you sort of give them yeah. the, the freedom to, Absolutely. to design their own sort of work time and space yeah. um, rather than the sort of presenteeism concept where people feel like they've just got to be there to mm -hmm. show that they're there but maybe they're, they're, they're not really focused. Whereas when somebody's got the opportunity to say, well, you know what, I'm not productive right now. I'm going to go and walk my dog um, and I'll come back later and I'll do it when I'm really sort of motivated. And, yeah. and, and you know, in our team, you know, there's people who work in the middle of the night and it's not something that I recommend, but, <laughs> but they do it because they think that that's what, that's what they want to do. You know, maybe they did something else sort of in the afternoon and but at night it's quiet, there's nobody distracting them and they actually can get a lot done. I think um, we, we have a, a series at Springwise called the Innovation Culture Bulletin, which we publish every month, and we look at uh, cu the culture of innovation and how do you create a workspace that is um, most suited to innovation. And one of the things uh, that is that struck me, we did something around the impact of nature on uh, productivity. Yeah. So your point about going for a, a, a walk. So for me, if I start my day and I can walk along the South Downs for an hour or, or mountain bike for an hour, I am like 500 times as efficient and effective and brilliant. Yeah. Not that I'm not brilliant at the time. <laughs> but, you know, I have, I, I, I am, my mind is clear and, and, and there's physiological reasons for that, as we know. And that kind of, you take the, the kind of the grounding from nature and you take the kind of the, the maybe refresh, which you don't get sitting on a bus for an hour and a half sitting stuck on Blackfriars Bridge looking at the cycle lane with no cycles in it. Um, <laughs> 
So that, that is one thing. And then the other thing I think that is important, and there is a balance, and, and uh, you do need the human contact yeah. in an organization. So, so you can't just be remote all the time and hope that it works. Yeah. And, and, and management and kind of some of the techniques that we've learned over the years to build businesses are still really important. And so we, we connect our teams, you know, at least two or three times a week to make sure that we're together. We have that kind of office communication. We're working on a big project for someone. You know, we do need to have that human contact. But the role of the office is completely different now. So there was something we published last week. Um, in New York, they have, um, restaurants have got together and between 8 o'clock in the morning and 12 o'clock when they open for lunch, the space is, is empty. Yeah. So they basically turned it into meeting spaces. Oh, I saw that on Springworks. Yeah. So that was on Springworks. Yeah. And it's just brilliant. So it's disruptive, sharing economy, using you know using space that is dead, yeah. probably will disrupt WeWork, which is not a bad thing, you know, and all of that kind of stuff. And it's like, and, and why wouldn't you run your business just based on, you know, spending four hours in a restaurant, you know, before it opens and then let everyone go off and, and do a run and do some work later. So... So that, but it does, um, it, it means that you need, you know, real accountability, real sort of empowerment and, and yeah. real trust a, amongst the teams that are doing it. Because in yeah. the end, the client still needs, there's still a deadline at the other end of it. But, but I'm a great fan and always have been. And I've always, I used to really hate go, having to go to an office and be there at, at sort of six o'clock in the, in the evening when I want to go home and see my kids. You know, what's wrong with getting on, on the trainer? at four o'clock and, and yeah. then a few few hours while later. But that's hard to, particularly when you're a leader of, of and you've got a lot of people in an organization, it's hard to be seen to be you know, jumping out of the office at four o'clock. So I think there's still quite a lot of cultural shift, yeah. but definitely in the legacy businesses, people won't work for businesses that, that don't operate like this. Um, and a lot of the bigger businesses are now kind of changing you know, rapidly. It changes how offices work, the kind of what what sort of spaces people need, all of that kind of stuff is, you know, moving dramatically, yeah. which is fantastic and and I think very liberating mm-hmm. and really empowering. When I was talking to a guy at the weekend who's a writer, we're thinking of working with, and he's he's working now running a kitchen in the refugee camp in Calais. Okay, and it's like how fantastic! Yeah. He's a really smart guy and. What a great thing to be doing, but you know, he's writing as well, and we're going to see if we can do some stuff with him on Springwise. Um, but I just love that. I just, yeah. I love the fact that he's doing that because it's, and he's doing a little sabbatical, and he feels really, um, you know, the fact that we actually had the conversation at the weekend now thinking about it was, it's a lot like, not in more than it was a business conversation, but all of that is just really refreshing and, and, you know, complete so far away from the old way of doing stuff. Which yeah. is, you know, much of the time spent in the water cooler is just slagging off your, uh, your colleagues and talking rubbish about whatever. Yeah, you know, yeah. it's not productive for anyone. It's just like, well, let's get through the day. Yeah, but um, finding the balance is the difficult thing. So, you know, there's this trend of removing holiday policies altogether. So you say to your employees, there is no holiday policy. You take your holidays when it's beneficial to you and 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 the business. So Netflix is a great example of that, and, and they've been there's a great document that you can look up online, which is the um, the employee handbook of Netflix, which I, I highly recommend as a read. So Yahoo did that a couple of years ago, and they they sort of um, stopped the, the the counting of holiday days and stuff like that, and they had to go backwards because it didn't work for them. Yeah, so, all of our clients um, tried that. And I think they're still doing it, but um, the client, the contact that we work with within that company had moved from, he'd actually, he worked for one of our other clients and he moved across. And, and he thought when he got this new job, he thought, this is fantastic. This was one of the selling features that there's unlimited holidays. I can take as much as I want. And when he got there, he realized that this is, it's, it's actually, it works the other way. Yes. Because then there becomes this culture whereby you're not quite sure how much is socially acceptable <laughs> for you to take. Yeah. And so you get nervous that other people are judging you for not being there. So you actually take less holidays than if someone had just said, well, look, you can have five weeks. And, you but know, that's still, worry about still the kind of, so the culture is still hierarchical and, yeah. and, yeah. and which is what we're trying to, you know, trying to shift. I mean, I think the other macro trend, which is really interesting, is the idea of the individual as the brand in a way, in a way. so it's and, and that you so so if you if you're 21 today you're going to have 
you're going to live a lot longer yeah. and you're going to maybe have 10 careers. So you're not going to go and work in Lloyds Bank and retire with a clock at the age yeah. of 55, which is a relief for everyone. <laughs> um, but you are going to probably work in at least 10 businesses. Yeah. And so, so but you're, and you're going to have a skill set that maybe is particularly in tech and, you know, that is, that you build, you, you're, you know, you become your own kind of mini company, if you like. And so that's, you know, you're, in, in, you're going in and you're trading your experience and your expertise and what you can do for a business for, you know, for money effectively or for whatever you're, however you're paid in a business. But that sort of idea of the, the shift in power, if you like, and the shift in hi- from hierarchy to a much more flat yeah. kind of team, team-based culture, which is, you know, I see myself more as a conductor of an orchestra than I am the kind of train driver. You know, yeah. it's a terrible analogy, but anyway, you know what I mean. But you're, you know, you're everyone's. You want people to be working in harmony to get the project, you know, to get the symphony to sound the best it can. And and I think all of, but those those members of the orchestra are coming in with their skill set for a moment in time. It may be a year, it may be five years, and then they're going to go on and, work and do something else. And that sort of that is going to be a huge, as another massive shift. Um, and it's sort of the power of the human um, human being in relationship to the co- to the to the corporate, which is a very interesting long term thing. And, and it's happening in in health insurance, for example. You know, the, what what will happen is you'll turn up and say, um, I you know I'm fit, I, I don't drink much, I don't smoke, and therefore I want a better premium. Yeah. And you know, here's my data, and I'm going to give you that, and I want a better premium because I don't want to be subsidising everyone who's not looking after themselves. So, so that whole, and that you don't have that at the moment really, I mean you have a little bit, but in the end the insurance companies are taking you for it and there's no real negotiation. Yeah. So that, and that's a sort of, a, a, across a number of different places, I think that's just a very interesting kind of movement and really powerful. But it, it does mean that you need to have this kind of orchestration and light touch uh, management and, and the hierarchy is, is kind of is over. You can't, you know, the days of telling someone to do something are, and them yeah. doing it. Maybe it still operates in France a little bit. No comment. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And yeah, there, there's great examples of that at the micro level. So all the sharing economy businesses are an example of the power shifting from the corporation to the individual. The one I like best um, is a business which is disrupting my area consulting which is called Street Bees. So it's a lady who's about my age and she set it up a couple of years ago, very very smart and the idea is very simple, instead of hiring consultants and, and sort of armies of um, highly paid consultants to do price checks and all sorts of things for you, you hire people in the street. So. Um, if you're a street bee, you receive a message on your app that says, would you like to participate in this job? And you say yes and say you're working for Coke. And then the mission is that every time you go to a supermarket, you take a picture of the um, soft drinks aisle. Yeah. And that data gets gathered, analyzed, assembled and sent back to Coke. And that way that gives them a picture of you know, how well the, the aisles are stocked, etc. from a global uh, point of view. This, you know, a few years ago would have cost, you know, a fortune in consulting fees, and nowadays it's done by people on their iPhones. And I just think it's a perfect example of how it's all moving back to the individual and how the individual is a, is a force for business and is a force for good. And enabled by technology. Exactly. And, and so this is an example of where technology is, a, is an enabler and a great, uh, great force in, in its own right. Yeah. Do you think the um, do you think the role of sort of qualifications might change as well as people? Um, it's, Great question. It's, <laughs> I mean, in our team, definitely, it's very much about what you can bring to the table. Um, it's not about what pieces of paper you've got. Um, so, so in terms of like breaking down the hierarchy, it doesn't matter whether you're eighteen or forty or you know. Basically, if you could, if you've got skills and you've got enthusiasm and you've got a good attitude, then you know you're part of the team and you contribute what you've got to contribute. Um, and obviously, education plays a part in that in giving you those skills. But as a company, the piece of paper is not what matters. It's very much 
what you can do. And as you go through your career, a lot of people are not trying to move up the hierarchy. They're very much trying to see, okay, well, what skills do I want to acquire that might be valuable to the team or valuable to myself in terms of, you know, yeah. um, my, my personal brand moving on. Um, and so I think the whole kind of the way that we view education and qualifications is probably going to change. Sophie's the education expert. Yes. So it's, it's a great oh, question because it's, it is one that as a mother, I am struggling with, or not struggling, battling with yeah. every day. Because I know the answer, and the answer is, you're right. Education <laughs> needs to change yeah. from the ground up um, in, in a pretty fundamental manner. For the main reason that it's not about what you know anymore. It's about how you use your brain to make connections between the things that you can find out. Yeah. So it's a, it's a much smarter way of, of being uh, because it's about how you use your brain, not what you know. Yeah. Because what you know can be replaced by a machine. So, you know, all the sort of medical facts or, or all the laws that you need to learn by heart that can be done by, by a machine. It's much more important that you use your brain in order to figure out how to use that information. So the whole, you know, typical French way of uh, educating children, which is, I am the teacher, I am imparting knowledge upon you, child, and, you know, listen, repeat, and, and rehearse, and start again, is, is probably fundamentally flawed uh, for today's world. Having said that, this is the, the sort of devil, um, there is still a major place for, you know, well-formed education because it allows you to structure your brain in a certain way that will um, ultimately enable you to use it uh, properly. So math, for example, is an amazing school yeah. because it, it structures your brain and it teaches you to make connections between, um, between items and, and causes and consequences. So I'm a great believer, for example, that in this country, in the UK, children should continue math until a lot later and not be allowed to drop it that young, because I can see it in my daily life, um, you know, the, the difference in um, level of math between an 18-year-old French grad and an 18-year-old UK grad is, is just different, and you see it in the business world. Um, so, you know, and that's the other side of, of the coin. So you still need, you know, proper organized education, but at the same time you need to focus on different things, which are creativity and, and empowerment. Yeah. And, you know, there's going to be a constant battle over the next few decades on what's the right balance between the two. So, I th yeah, to build on that, I think that what has become clear, which is great, is that life, life is about a lifelong you're learning all the time and you need to be open to learning and, and as, as the, the pace of life and the pace of change moves, we all have to learn. I mean, I've learned more in the last two years since I started Springwise, <coughs> I took over Springwise than probably in the 10 years before that yeah. on all levels. But, but the, back to the education point of view, there is, um, there is no substitute for, for education and a good education, without a doubt, not only because of the, the learning and I think I, you know, I agree with Sophie that, that we need to massively overhaul the system in this, in this country. And it was, it was encouraging today. I, I learned that the Chinese way of teaching maths has been incorporated into half the primary schools, I think, okay. because it's a much more efficient, effective way of doing it. Um, I could have benefited from it, I suspect. But, um, <laughs> but the, the fact, so I think there is something about a, a young adult who has managed to get to a good university and perform at a good university and do well, which is which is really important, yeah. and which I do look at, without a doubt, when I'm looking at uh, people's CVs. Yeah. And it may not tell me that they've, you know, they may have done a course that is not massively relevant to, to what we're doing, but it shows a, an ambition, it shows a sense of purpose, and it shows a sense of commitment. Yeah, and all those things. Things. yeah, and I kind of, you know, you want people like that in the yeah. organisation. So I do look at that, and I, but absolutely, will the the you know what are they what are they going to what are their skills and what are their kind of skills that are relevant to my business? Now the shame is that 
mostly the skills that they learned at university have got nothing to do with my business. Yeah. So the fact that you get people, you know, who are in their early twenties and they can't they can't operate very simple design programs on the computer and all of this, they might have a first from a great university and but they can't, you know, they can't put something into a into a format that everyone uses and everyone needs. It's, yeah. it's just like uh, is a real shame. So part of what we have to do is we have to help them learn and we have to provide courses and and kind of encourage that lifelong lifelong learning. But it, there, there's we're not we're not really in this country at the moment. The UK we're not we we've got a long way to go to get to get to be competitive. Which yeah. is, and I look a lot around the world at what's going on. We, we cover a lot of educational work with MBA programs. Springwise is used as a course um, kind of resource, and it's clear that there's a lot of a lot to be done. And we need to keep keep with the program. Keep yeah. up. Yeah, absolutely. It's quite tricky actually because um, I did a bit of research when I was wrapping up my degree, and my degree is design, and like unlike medicine, if you you don't know a certain thing, nobody dies or something. You know what I mean? Like this, yeah. it's a skill that you can quickly <clears throat> learn. But then looking at the numbers, um, the requirements for a relevant degree or just a degree are actually going up. And right now, I think for people that want to start in the design industry, um, I think you talk about like an 80% percentage of people that need a degree, which used to be about 50 like 10 years ago, which is like a massive increase. So at the same time, like you would say it wouldn't, but actually, like in this specific field, it does increase like dramatically. Yeah, I mean, I think part of that is because uh, there's been this government policy that everyone has to go to university, which then creates this culture that well, if you haven't been to university, why haven't you been? Um, so it's sort of a. The other problem is people who um, come out of university. And they can't get jobs. Yeah. Because so many people have gone to university to study exactly the same thing and there's no differentiation exactly. and nothing's relevant for the workplace. Yeah. So, and it's like, why, you know, wouldn't you better have it being an apprentice? Yeah. And learning right. something, learning how to code. Why doesn't every kid learn how to code or learn how to, you know, do the design stuff or learn, you know? Yeah. So, I mean, that's something that I'm always saying. You know, why aren't schools? I wanted to write something for you. Oh right! Well, this is a stylus. Okay, well, that's so it's not. <laughs> okay, pen. Sorry, edit break or not? Keep up. You ask the question. Yeah. Right. Yep. Um, yeah. The why aren't schools teaching kids how to code? I mean, you might never use it, but it's 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 a way of thinking well, in a way. Yeah. They're getting there. So my five-year-old has been to coding lessons, um, and there's there's great tools out there. Well, you've got a little robot, and um, kids as young as four or five year old can give that robot instructions, and then they they sort of put their instructions together, press play, and then the robot does something. Yeah. And that's the introduction to code, and that's brilliant. Yeah, that's fantastic. So it's happening. It's just very slow. But it's for, uh, everyone. Everyone we would hire at Springwise would be at the front of the queue if they said they could code a little bit. Yeah. So so even if they're a writer. Because it's just it's just help, helpful and it's not that complicated and I should know how to code as well. So <laughs> I can preach to my to myself a little bit about that. So the other the other area which I thought was interesting to think about was the future of the world, <laughs> yeah, the future of everything. And this whole idea of the one of the things that we do at Springwise, which I wanted to talk to you about, um, because I know your your audience and your your ethos and culture is in sync with it. Is that we're a member of something called One Percent for the Planet, yep. which you've, you've heard about, which is yep. um, an organisation found co-founded by Elon Shuinar, the founder of Patagonia, the, the brand, my favourite brand, as you've probably got to know by now. Um, and what we do is we give one percent of our sales, so sales, not profit, to yep. environmental causes um, every year. So one percent of the planet for the planet is set up to connect businesses with environmental organisations and effectively send the message that we all know that we forget because we, we don't really cover it very much in the main, mainstream media, but that there is a crisis going on um, from an environmental point of view and the business has a massive role to play in, in kind of helping fix that um, and, and therefore connecting you with a cause that is interesting. So we give, um, from Springwise, we've been connected with something called the Wild Trout Trust, which is a charity that, that looks at the 
preservation and conservation of rivers. Yeah. And, and the idea is that if you have a river with clean enough water in it that a wild trout can flourish, then you've got a, a, a great habitat and a, and, a, and a protected natural resource. And that manifests itself in, in a number of ways. One being we go and, as a team and stand in the river and fix habitats for trout. Yeah. Um, very interesting because my team are kind of, I think they're all under 30, and the Wild Trout Trust is, has a much older population. So the, com- the combination of kind of being able to communicate a, a lot of that messaging to a much younger group is really important. Yeah. And, and the team love it because it's like really fascinating to understand what makes trout habitat work. Um, and then of course we give money to, we give actual cash, so hard cash. So I think the, the insight from Yvonne Shuinar is like, you know, businesses should just give money and, you know, give some energy and effort as well, but money can help fix some of this stuff. Yeah. And the other byproduct of that, which I think is part of the future of everything discussion is that people want to work for businesses that are doing this kind of stuff. Without a doubt. So when I talk about it in interviews and we're interviewing people, it's like I can see people's eyes light up. And when I go to clients and we talk about whatever we're talking, I always say this is what Springwise does and we, we committed to this. And it's, you know, our money that we're giving. It's not like some shareholders' money. It's our money yeah. that we're giving. Um, and you can see the engagement. Uh, it's, it's fantastic. And the great thing is that that will, you know, become more and more prevalent, I think, and that movement is growing. So it's, it's much bigger in the States than it is in Europe. And it connects in with the B Corp, the, the, the yeah. benefit corporation, which is the new sort of extension of triple bottom, bottom line and really having written into the articles of a business that it must do, do good and be, and be there for the benefit. And that is a, a very encouraging and must be a movement that should be taken, you know, will be taken on and will become the norm. Yeah. over time. And that's, again, that's why I sort of get asked, you know, are you positive or negative about the future? And I have, we have five kids between us. Um, so, not not together, but between us. So we've got three and two. <laughs> that exhausting. Um, and, you know, they're the guys who are going to come and inherit this world that we have, you know, been on for, for many years. Also. And, and it, it, they, you know, it's it's nice to think of it as a positive world as opposed to a negative world. And, and you can listen to the media and go, oh my God, this is not really very positive. But actually, there is enough positivity around and there's enough kind of movements like One Step Planet, which, which makes it feel like it's, it's going to be good. Yeah. But it's not going to be without its challenges. No. And I think there's, um, there's huge opportunities as well. You know, you've got, not only do we all now know sort of, about a lot of the sort of big environmental issues, but you've got you've got the world scientists now sort of starting to shout and say, "Look, this is really, really serious. Yeah. Is, there's a, there's a degree of urgency that we need to transform things rapidly." And and business has a massive role to play in that. And so, although it might be scary, and certainly a lot of sort of entrenched industries might might resist that, there's also a massive opportunity for new industries, new businesses to come up and, and solve those problems. Um, and I'm, that's obviously you know some of the stuff that you. Well, we write about bring the time. I mean, the entrepreneurs that do. So, so I was in um, South Africa just before Christmas with uh, a project called Amapico, which is uh, sponsored by Red Bull, and it's a it's an academy that uh, basically takes place in a township in the middle, just outside Cape Town. This one, where we help mental entrepreneurs for a week, and we we help them give them wings, which is the, the kind of the idea behind it. And I've become a a big supporter and partner in that program. And one of the one of the ladies who we featured on Springwise was she she created um, backpacks for kids going to school out of recycled plastic bags. So people would often buy it. And then on the back of them, she put a solar panel. And the solar panel would charge during the day as they walked to and from school, and that would then give them light so they could do their homework and read in the evenings. And we were right at the beginning. So Springwise published it really early. Yeah. They then got into this program. Uh, this Amapico program, and now they've gone off, and they've just been really, really successful. And it's it's such a leadership position, and you can go into retailers and say, you know, why aren't you guys doing this stuff? You know, yeah. this, this lady here who's in a township, she's come from nowhere, and she's now a kind of global ambassador for recycling, you know, helping kids, you know, education, and all yeah. of the byproducts of that. 
And and so seeing that kind of stuff and being part of that coming becoming mainstream is really really exciting. And, and we had another one last last week in India with some people who have made an air conditioning unit out of recycled plastic bottles. Brilliant that one. And it's like I love it. It's yeah. just great. And we you know we push that out to two or three hundred thousand people who who then take you know consuming it and learning right. about it. And again back to the guy today. I mean the other emails we get is. I got published in Springwise, and you know we got funding, or I was picked up by a TV station. So yeah. that so the the amazing opportunities to influence and to kind of bring some of these great ideas to um, to many people around the world and help them on their journey is, is just such an exciting place to be. And yeah, and absolutely. And and it's so valuable for our clients to be able to have those insights and see what's happening, what's really happening, rather than just another load of theory. This might happen. Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, and I, I, mean, I think you use WordPress for your for spring We do. We and do um, the, the sort of corporate ethos behind WordPress is to democratize publishing. Yeah. And I think they really have done that because you know, now people who are in a township, you know, in, they, they can get their message out to people everywhere in the world, whereas in the past, yeah. you know, they would have been known in the local community, but it wouldn't have spread beyond that. Absolutely. Um, so I, I, think, I think that's incredible. It's brilliant. I mean, and that's, you know, that ability to communicate and the ability to tell the story and, and the kind of the art of the storytelling, which is what the Amapico program yeah. does a lot of, is how do you tell your story? How do you, how do you get it out there and how do you influence? And, and it's, it's movement, and it's a movement of positive change that is really coming, and it can come from the grassroots. And, and that will be the future. Yeah. And the guys that aren't seeing that are going to be the guys who are going to be left behind. Yeah, I think that's a good place to stop. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much. It's been a great pleasure. Yeah, Thank thanks, guys.